Thanks, Tim. Uh, that's Tim, by the way. And I'm Andrew, uh, the senior pastor here at Meadows Christian Fellowship. And we are just glad that you are here with us, whether that's in person or joining us via the live stream. Uh, I'm glad that you are here. And uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, you can grab them. We'll uh, land in the book of Galatians in the fifth chapter. We're going to get there with a hop, skip, and a jump. Uh, If you want to follow along, uh, you can kind of watch slides on your device. So this is very helpful at home. Or you can follow the scripture texts on your device. In person, in the sanctuary, there's a QR code that's in the pew in front of you. You can take your camera app and point it at that. And it should pop up a link or you can find our digital bulletin in our Faith Life app. Uh, If you're at home, you can point your camera at the screen. It's just that that screen's a little too far away. And so... uh, Uh, But it will work at home um, unless, of course, you're in a room about this size and you're sitting at the back of the room um, like good Baptists do. Well, uh, as part of the digital bulletin, we just uh, appreciate you filling out the connection card. We just want to know that you are with us today, and if there's anything that we can be praying with you about, uh, if you want to stay connected through our newsletter and things like that, we'd just uh, love to have that interaction with you. And and we've been um, kind of in a series talking about our seven shared values of membership. And so here, uh, we believe that God calls us into a body together, and that that is a commitment that we make to each other. And so if, if you're joining us, you're not a member here, welcome. We are so glad you're here. But as we do life together, we, we look to just go, okay, are we committed to each other? Are we doing this thing together following Christ? Uh, and one of the things that we do on a somewhat regular basis, at least three times a year, is we meet together just to talk about uh, where the church is at and where it's going. We have our annual business meeting at the end of this month. And so I'd encourage you, especially members, uh, just make plans to stay after the services on April 25th. And if you're not a member, you're welcome to come and just know that we're going to be talking about family business. Uh, but you can listen in, you can participate and, and join in with us and just learn more about our church that way. Well, uh, we've paused our uh, series on those seven shared values. Those were new additions into our church constitution a year ago, and so we're unpacking those as we start on a more regular basis meeting together in person, as we're seeing more and more of us come back in person, which is exciting to me. Uh, But as we hit Easter, I just thought it'd be great to just kind of Uh, call back to mind. We started the year with a series called just Fresh Start. And uh, coming out of 2020 into 2021, it just felt like, wow, we need a fresh start. But coming into the resurrection, I go, okay, again, here we have a new beginning. And so, you know, last week we just talked about it's like a fresh sheet of paper and, uh, you know, it's just beautiful and fresh, and it feels good to roll in a fresh piece of paper. You go, what is that thing up there? It's a really old computer, <laughs> okay? Um, the hard drive is here, and the interface is here, and then things actually happen there. Uh, but that's old technology, but it's that new piece of paper that we get to put in this antiquated machine that helps us just think about starting fresh, beginning new again. Um, I, I just really enjoy reading stories in the Old Testament. Anybody have a favorite story in the Old Testament? We can be interactive. You can shout it out. It's okay. Ruth. Yeah. Daniel. Yeah, a bunch of stories with Daniel in it. Anybody else? Yeah, Joseph, parting the Red Sea, absolutely. So here's a couple that I just came to mind as I was thinking about new beginnings. You know, we have that story of Noah and the ark. And, and it's, it is literally a new beginning. Like uh, God floods the earth and starts fresh with this new family. It's a new beginning. And, and wouldn't it have been kind of awesome to uh, one kind of watch that from a distance. I wouldn't have wanted to be part of that because that would have gone bad because my name's not Noah. Um, But to to watch that from a distance, to actually see God work in that way, his absolute control of creation, his absolute authority, his holiness on display, and then to see Noah and his family get parked, you know, right in the right spot, and all the waters recede, and they come off the ark, and from there, like, 
the earth begins anew. It, it would have been pretty amazing. That, that one may be uh, a bit hard to connect with because you go, yeah, but everybody died. Okay, so another new beginning, the people of Israel, we get their story in the Old Testament and Genesis and into Exodus. We, we hear of this family that has been being put together by God. God's called these people to himself, and um, he's moved in their history. And so all of a sudden, their family is saved from a famine. It's a great story. Read the story of Joseph. But uh, they're saved from a famine in the nation of Egypt. But then years later, a pharaoh comes into power and goes, wow, these Israelites, they've multiplied like crazy, which, by the way, was God's command to them, like to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's what the Israelites were doing. They were just obedient to God. They had multiplied. God had blessed that. And now there are this numerous people in Egypt. And the Pharaoh's like, this could go bad because if they actually get the idea to turn against us, they could overwhelm us. So let's enslave them. And so the people of God are enslaved. And they begin to cry out. After hundreds of years, they cry out to God, would you save us? And God raises up Moses and brings Moses into Egypt, into power in Egypt. And then he goes into the wilderness, into exile. And he's really living out the story of God's people. And he comes back as God's chosen deliverer of his people. Can you imagine being on the banks of the Red Sea? Now, you've just been let go. There's been 10 plagues. You've witnessed all of these things unfolding in Egypt. God, is, his power has been on display. His faithfulness to you has been on display. And you come to the edge of the Red Sea, and you're like, now we're stuck. And then you hear in the distance the horse hooves and the chariot wheels of Egypt bearing down on you. And, you know, it's not surprising to me that the people of God start to complain against Moses. They start to say, what have you done? You've just brought us out here to die? And Moses kind of goes, okay, God, if ever you need to do something big to give us a new beginning, it's now. And all of a sudden the waters part. And the people of God walked through on dry land. Wouldn't you have loved to be there? I I can't even imagine what that would have been like. But sometimes I go, man, wouldn't it be great to have an experience like that? Where you're just stuck. You have this complete dependence on God. If God doesn't show up, it's over. And then for him to do something that miraculous. Wouldn't have that been cool? I think sometimes we long for those kind of experiences. Well, the people of God, they go through the Red Sea on dry ground. They get into the wilderness, and it's not quite what they thought it would be. They thought God was going to provide, like, lazy boys and, you know, um, I don't know, animals that would carry them all over the place. They just thought it would be easy. They thought, okay, God's going to give us everything we want. And God goes, that's not how I work. I will take care of your needs, but I'm going to work in your life in a way that you have to remain dependent on me. And so they wander around the wilderness, and finally, a new leader comes to power, Joshua, and he goes, okay, now it's time. God has said it's time to go into the promised land, but there's an obstacle right at the doorway of the promised land. And again, the people of God are sitting here going, okay, if this is the new beginning, it sure doesn't feel like a clean sheet of paper. Like Jericho's in our way. It's the most fortified city. There's people that are really big there, strong, and it's just we're never going to take it. And Joshua goes, hey, God's going to provide. He wants us to experience this new beginning. He's going to show up. And they're like, how? And he goes, we're going to take a walk. Uh, I'm sorry, what? We do have weapons. You know that, Joshua? Yep, that's not how we're going to do this. God told me what we're going to do is we're going to walk up to the city. We're going to walk around the city. We're going to do that several days in a row. And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times and the walls are just going to collapse. What? Like, have you ever put yourself in that story? So the women's Bible study this last week, they've been talking about wondering, biblical wondering, just, just going, I wonder. And, and it's such a wonderful exercise to just go, I wonder, and to let your imagination run a little bit, but to put yourself in the story. How would you have felt? What would you have been thinking? 
Would you have been like, no, I'll stay over here. Thank you, Joshua. I don't need to walk that far. Aaron sometimes says, hey, do you want to go and take a baby walk? Just, just a little short walk. Okay, I've come to know that means two and a half or three miles. Okay, so that's kind of what Joshua was doing. Hey, just, just come take a little walk with me. Oh, yeah, we're going to go all the way around. But when they went around seven times and they blew their trumpets and shouted to the Lord, all of a sudden the walls of the most fortified city fell down. Isn't there a little bit of a longing in you to go, wow, I wish I could have been there to see that. One of, one of my, maybe one of my favorite moments, and this is one of Aaron's too, is in the book of 2 Kings, we get Elisha come on the scene, and he, he was kind of the understudy of Elijah, but he's now the primary prophet in Israel, and uh, he has kind of fled to this city because the king of Syria doesn't like him very much. And the king of Syria said, okay, I don't like him so much that I'm going to send my whole army to capture him. Okay, the king of Syria is no dummy. He knows that Elisha is powerful. So he goes, yep, it's going to take the whole army. The whole army shows up, surrounds this city. And Elisha's servant comes to him and goes, we're in trouble. What should we do? We're surrounded by an army. And Elisha goes, well, don't you see? We're not alone. Don't don't you see God's forces that are on our side? And his servant goes, no. No, I, I, I just see this Syrian army marching down into the city. And Elisha goes, hey, would you open his eyes? Oh, Lord, would you please open his eyes that, that he could see what you're doing? And the servant's eyes are open, and he sees flaming chariots and this army of angels that's even bigger than the Syrian army. And he goes, Wow! Don't you long for experiences like that where we see God's power on display? I know that I do. But I'd encourage us, there is a longing in Old Testament saints, not for those kind of experiences. What the prophets continually tell us Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Isaiah in some different ways. What they continually tell us is they're looking forward to a day when God's going to do this new thing. He's going to do something so spectacular. It's going to blow away recreating the earth. It's going to blow away delivering a people through parted waters of a Red Sea. It's going to blow away the walls falling down of Jericho. It's going to blow away the armies of heaven showing up. And so in Ezekiel 36, now Ezekiel is kind of a weird, crazy book. I hope that you read it sometime. It's my favorite prophet because it's so weird. But in the midst of it, as he's going from vision to vision, from illustration that God's given him to illustration that God's given him, he says this to us. He says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. So God says, all right, I'm going to do this new thing. I'm going to do this super big thing, this, this thing that like overshadows all that I've done. But I'm going to do it for my glory. Because when God works, it's for his glory. He goes on in the next verse. He says, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, to which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Now he keeps going. And he says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and I will clean you from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
This is the longing of the Old Testament prophets. This is the longing to actually have the Spirit of God reside within them. They go, you know what? I would trade the exodus for the Spirit of God. You know why? Because we might have walked through parted waters, but on the other side, our flesh took over, and we begin to complain, and we begin to disobey God. And no matter how hard we try, we can't keep walking in faithfulness. Jericho, man, it was a hard few years before we went into Jericho. A whole generation had to die because they couldn't walk faithfully before God. And we get into the promised land, and it is amazing, and yet we can't walk faithfully before God. Every new beginning the people of Israel had ended in this same place of disobedience, of sin, of shaming the name of the Lord. And so the Old Testament prophets, they go, oh, what I long for, not for another miraculous working of God, what I long for is that the Spirit of God would indwell us. That God would change our hearts. And by changing us from the inside, our outside would follow suit. That in giving us His Spirit, we would truly be transformed. That's what the Old Testament prophets long for. All right, now fast forward several hundred years. Jesus comes on the scene and begins saying similar things as the prophet. He's saying, hey, what God had promised, I'm here to give. I'm here to deliver on. I'm here to fulfill. Through his ministry, we can see the evidence of his spirit. So many times it says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And so then he goes and stands the temptation of Satan. He teaches with great authority. He performs great miracles. He declares the forgiveness of sins. He opens the eyes of the blind. He sets the captives free. In the last hours of Jesus' life, before he goes to the cross, he pulls together his closest friends who are finally starting to get that something bad's about to happen. That Jesus is going to go away. And Jesus tells them in John 14, 15, and 16, in this upper room discourse, in his conversation over dinner with the disciples, that the Spirit will dwell with us, and not just with us, but in us. That the Father is going to be glorified as his people begin bearing fruit with increasing consistency. And that that's going to be possible... He says in John 16, 7 to 15, he said that's going to be possible by the Spirit. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. That text always blows my mind. Think about it. When Jesus was walking on the earth and he's with his disciples doing all of these great things and they're like, yes, just more of that, please. Jesus goes, there's something even better And that, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus says, as good as it's been to hang out with me, which, come on, if you haven't longed for Old Testament things, have you ever longed, could, could we just hang out with Jesus? Oh, if I could have just walked on the earth with Jesus, if I could have just seen him and maybe touched him and had him impact my life and heard his teaching, if I could have just spent some time with Jesus, I'd be in a different place. And yet Jesus himself says, oh, don't long for that. 
Long for something more that I'm doing. Long for this new thing that the prophets foretold that I'm telling you, you desperately need in order to live the life that God wants you to live. And so in Acts chapter 2, we see the Spirit come. It's interesting to me that that Peter, who kind of takes front stage in Acts chapter 2, he begins his second letter, the second letter of Peter, 2 Peter. It says that through faith, every believer has been given all that they need for life and godliness. That is an amazing statement. You go, well, maybe that was true for Peter. Maybe that was true for Paul. Maybe that's true for the great Christians that come to my mind. Maybe their faith is different than mine. Except Peter, in just a couple of verses before that, as he opens 2 Peter, he goes, you've been given a faith on the same order as ours. It's the same faith. Peter tells these people, you might think that I'm special, but that's not true. You've been given the same faith. And by that faith, You've been given the Spirit. And in the gift of the Spirit, you have everything you need for life and godliness. So last week, we looked at this new beginning with Christ. Okay, we, we see Christ rise from the dead, and He promises life to us. That life, that new beginning of life, comes to us by the Spirit. And so it's no surprise to me that Paul in Galatians 5, 16 starts this way. That's Ephesians. I put my marker in the wrong spot. One second. Chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. He is picking up on the promises of the Old Testament and on Jesus himself. He says, you want to see God do something big? You want to see God do something new? You want to see God do something amazing and exciting and powerful right before your eyes? Walk by the Spirit. And you'll begin to see the transforming work of God in your life. And it will blow your mind. He is declaring That the life that Jesus promised in his death and resurrection is ours by the Spirit. This reality of resurrection life is ours. It is the gift of grace that God gives. He knows how to give good gifts. And the gift that he loves to give is his Holy Spirit. The new beginning we all long for is as natural as walking for us. How many of you have ever walked in your life? Not all, okay, now we're, now we're catching on. Not quite all of us, but most of us have walked in our life. Walking is this metaphor in Scripture. All the way from Ezekiel, did you catch it back there? That the longing of God's people was to walk in obedience with their God. That's what they longed for and they couldn't do it. And in all of these amazing things that they saw God do, they still couldn't walk well. And Paul says, hey, you know what? You can walk well because you have the Spirit. Walking is this metaphor for living in obedience to God. The call of the Old Testament saints was to walk in his statutes. The call of Jesus was to walk with him, to follow him. Walking is this metaphor for our continual forward movement and growth in our knowledge of, love for, and likeness in Christ. Let me say that again. Walking throughout Scripture is this metaphor for our continual forward movement and growth in our knowledge of, love for, and likeness in Christ. The Holy Spirit wants to illuminate our minds to the truth of God so that we can know Him. Wants to stir in our hearts and change our affections so that we love Him. And from the inside out, he's transforming us so that we are like him. Walking by the Spirit is this metaphor of our continual forward movement. We just keep walking. Christians throughout all time have been plotters. Okay, We just keep moving forward. 
Okay, sometimes we're moving at a little better pace than others, but really it's about moving forward. So it's no wonder that in verse 17 he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. He's, he's saying, hey, there's tension in this life. Okay, and it's, it's not going to be done perfectly because there's a war going on within us. Okay, the desires of the flesh are pulling us toward death. The desires of the Spirit are pulling us toward life. But there's this tension inside of us. And so while we're not going to walk perfectly, while we're not going to walk without stumbling from time to time, we can continually, persistently move forward. While walking is very natural for us as humans, and we are uniquely suited for us for it, how often have you stumbled and fallen? You've tripped on a curb. You've, uh, uh, you know, not seen that hole in the ground. Yeah, we've fallen. But we all had to learn to walk sometime. We didn't come out of the womb walking, right? It's a wonderful uh, time in a parent's life to watch their children learn to walk. So I just thought I'd remind uh, some of us of that experience. If you've had children, uh, then you'll be familiar with this. And I couldn't find any of my own videos, but here's just a short video of learning to walk. Isn't that like life? Okay, it's so interesting how as much as things change, how much they stay the same, right? Like, like how often do we just trip and stumble? We lose our balance, we fall down. But how often, maybe even more so, do we inflict it on ourselves by putting the bucket on the head and, and trying to navigate blind? Walking as natural as it is, as uniquely suited as we are for it, it isn't always easy. And so we have to believe that at its core, walking by the Spirit really is a function of faith. Okay? It's not this activity that if we can just learn, if we can just you know, practice enough, if we can just kind of get our hands around it, we'll be okay. No, it's actually a function of faith. Paul makes that very clear just a couple of chapters before where we are in chapter 5. He says in chapter 3, he says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
Walking by the Spirit is a function of faith. It's just like our salvation where we actually have to put our trust, our hope, our belief, our faith in Jesus Christ. Who, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure of this, none of us have actually seen. And so we have to come to a place where we go, okay, I do acknowledge that there's something wrong in my life. There's something wrong in the world, and I'm looking for a solution somewhere. It's like walking around with a bucket on my head. I can't quite find it. I've tried all kinds of things. But by faith, I'll believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the Son of Man, all together, put together in one. It blows my mind, but I'm going to believe it. And that He, being God, perfect, and all that He did, went to the cross and died in my place because that's the penalty of offending God, death. And by faith, even though I didn't see it, on the account of Scripture, I'm going to believe that He rose to new life and that He wants to give us life by His Spirit. I'm going to believe that by faith. And what Paul says is, are you so foolish to begin that way and not realize that you continue that way? That it's that same faith that we can believe that we have a triune God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, that blows our minds. We don't have categories for that. We live in the tension of there is one God, but He is three. And by the Spirit... In us. Now, I don't know how the power of the Holy of Holies, I don't know how the power of the God of the universe fits in me. But it does. That's the testimony of Scripture. And by faith, by faith, I believe it. It's not blind faith. We have it on account of the Scriptures. But even those we have to take by faith that they were handed down by God. That God, by His Spirit, carried men along that wrote it out. By faith, our whole existence as believers in Jesus Christ is built on faith. Walking by the Spirit is a function of faith. I uh, appreciate that Paul gives us an example. Oh, you remember Abraham? Abraham's an interesting character in the Bible. We really don't know much about where he came from or his upbringing. We get some sense that he's an idol worshiper. He might have been a worshiper of the moon. But somewhere in his life, God comes down to him and maybe just speaks to him. I don't know if he actually saw God or if God just spoke to him, but he says, hey, Abraham, I want you to follow me. I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to leave your family. I want want you to leave everything that makes you comfortable. And I want you to go to a place where I'll show you. Have you ever started out on a journey not knowing where you're going? You know, somebody else has the map. Somebody else has the address. That drives me crazy. Okay, I don't take directions well when I'm driving. I want to know where I'm going. Okay, I want to have looked at the map myself to know, okay, where do we need to get to? Man, what kind of faith does Abraham have to answer this unknown God to him? This God who somehow reveals himself in such grandeur that Abraham goes, okay. Okay, I'll I'll go. I'll pack my bags. Here we go. We're going to go. Now, where are we going? I'll show you. Just start walking. That's faith. To go, okay, I'm going to trust God's word. I'm going to seek to know it. I'm going to seek to hear it. I'm going to seek to understand it. I'm going to do some work to actually figure out what God is saying to me in his word. That's what Abraham had to do. Now he had a simple message. Hey, go and I'll show you where you're going. But then think about Abraham's life and how many times there were decisions to make. And he turns to God and goes, okay, God, what's your word say? And we have his word in black and white in our hands. So it's knowing the word of God, but then trusting that the word of God is actually true for our lives. Now, how often do you say, I know the Word of God, I know what it says, but then your, your life doesn't really reflect trusting the Word of God? Well, I know what it says, but I'm going to do something different. That reveals that we don't trust the Word of God. Now, in the moment, the Word of God doesn't always make sense to us. Those instructions that God gives us, they, they oftentimes, in that moment, we go, really, God? 
But, but think about Abraham's life. If you've read his life, you know that he left with his nephew Lot. And at some point, um, God has blessed them so much that they have too much stuff and they need to separate. And Abraham says to Lot, hey, you can pick because I trust God. You can pick which way you're going to go and which way I'm going to go. And Lot goes, I don't need to trust God. I can see that this is better land. And so he picks that. And so here's Abraham, the patriarch, the man, the guy who's been following God, left with the shabby land. But he goes, hey, I'm trusting God. Because what God told me is that he's going to lead me into a good land. What God told me is that he's going to bless my family. Now, it doesn't make sense right now that he would give me this, but I'm going to trust that his word is true. That's walking by the Spirit, knowing the word, and trusting the word as we live by faith. Walking by the Spirit is a function of faith Walking by the Spirit is also this sense that we will feel freedom. Walking by the Spirit will feel like freedom. So often, I think we make the Christian life feel like drudgery. We, we make the Christian life feel like weight. We make the Christian life feel like rules and regulations that if we could only just keep those rules and regulations, and it becomes this burden. And God goes, that's not how I want you to experience the life that I have. Think about it. Jesus came out of the tomb into this glorious freedom. He goes, that's the kind of life I want you to have, this abundant life that's filled with joy and peace and love and goodness. It should feel like freedom. And so Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Walking by the Spirit will feel like freedom. And so if you find yourself trying to follow Christ, you go, okay, I I have put my faith and hope and trust and belief in Jesus Christ. I've made that decision, that acknowledgement. I'm trusting him for my salvation. I see him as Lord of my life. If you begin to follow that path and you start to feel like, oh, this is a weight that I can't bear. Man, this feels like shackles on my ankles. I go, you're not walking by the Spirit. You're not walking by the Spirit. The Spirit will feel like freedom. Walking by the Spirit is a function of our faith. Walking by the Spirit will feel like freedom. Walking by the Spirit will keep you looking forward. So in verse 5, he says, For through the Spirit, by faith, again, it's a function of our faith, feels like freedom, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Walking by the Spirit will feel like freedom, and it will keep us facing forward. Have you ever been walking backwards and fallen down? I have a couple of times. Um, I, I was a drum major in high school. And so I got fairly good at walking backwards. I had to walk miles backwards because you're directing the marching band. And so, you know, you're walking backwards for a long, long time. Okay, and I I remember the feeling of, you know, in those interludes, being able to turn around and walk forward and how much easier that is. Walking by the Spirit keeps us looking forward. So often when we stumble and fall, we can get sucked into looking back. We get sucked into looking back at our failure. We get sucked in looking back at the crack in the sidewalk that tripped us up. We get sucked into feeling pity for ourselves or guilt or shame. And the Spirit goes, no, 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 walking by the Spirit, we look forward. We look forward to what? That day when this whole promise gets fulfilled in its completion. The Spirit is given to us so that we can live. Though we're not going to live the life Christ wants us to with perfection, we're going to continually keep moving forward to that day when it's made perfect, when it's made right, when we're righteous completely. Walking by the Spirit keeps us looking forward to that day. And and so if you're following Christ today and you're kind of moving along but you're stuck in the past, Paul, how often does he say, hey, forget what lays behind, press on to what's ahead, keep looking forward. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit reminds us, hey, God loves you. 
The Spirit reminds you, you are a child. The Spirit reminds you, you're sealed, you're kept, you're forgiven, you're established, you're seated in the heavenly realms. Just keep looking forward. And so when we walk by the Spirit, when we know the Word, when we trust the Word in our lives, and by faith we go, okay, the Spirit's doing something in our lives. Oh man, it feels like freedom today. Oh, praise the Lord. Man, I'm looking forward today. Praise the Lord. I stumbled and fall. Okay, get up and look forward again. That's what the Spirit does for us. Walking by the Spirit is a function of faith. Things that are of faith are sometimes hard to get a handle on, but we just believe that the power of God is given to us by His Spirit. Do you believe that today? That the Old Testament saints, seeing all that God did, that Jesus Himself, knowing what He had done, said, hey, the Spirit is even better. Do you believe that by faith? If you can grab onto that by faith to go, okay, Man, it sure doesn't make sense that the, the all-powerful God could get packed into my heart, but I'm going to believe that. I'm going to believe that God's working to change me from the inside out, so I'm going to seek to know his word. I'm going to trust it as I live out my life. I'm going to look for that to feel like freedom. I'm going to keep facing forward. But walking by the Spirit means following. So back to verse 18. Paul says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, uh, if you are being led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit doesn't mean passing the Spirit up, okay? When we say we walk by, that doesn't mean we're like, hey, see you later, I'm walking by. Okay, no, we, we walk by the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, but we're always following the Spirit. It doesn't mean that we pass up the Spirit. It means that we keep in step with the Spirit. We're following the Spirit's lead. What did Jesus call all of his disciples to? Come and follow. Man, when we get out in front of Jesus, when we get out in front of the Spirit, we're in trouble. It's staying behind the Spirit. It's keeping our eyes on the Spirit. What's going on? What's the Spirit doing in our lives, in other people's lives? What's the Spirit telling us in His Word? Are we trusting that out in our lives? Is He in front of us? And are we following? It's a function of faith. It feels like freedom. It's looking forward. It means following. And walking by the Spirit produces good fruit. Oftentimes when there's these difficult concepts to kind of get our hands around, when we talk about things that we have to just receive by faith, the best way to know if that's actually true of you is to look for evidence of it. And the evidence of walking by the Spirit is fruit. Okay, now the evidence of living by the flesh is fruit too. It's just bad fruit versus good fruit. And so Paul says in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, okay? They're easily seen. They're easily uh, visible to us. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." This idea that we have died with Christ, that our sin is actually dead, is such an important idea to get our hands around. To go, we don't have to live according to the flesh, but the way to not do that is to walk by the Spirit. By faith, in freedom, looking forward, always following, looking for His lead. And what the text says is that will produce good fruit. Now, I I like to categorize his list in verses 19 and 20 and 21 in in three ways. 
I think they fall into uh, the category of attitudes, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Those are the attitudes that we have, the way that we think about the world. Okay, and, and given uh, enough time in depravity, this is how everybody starts to think. We're all drawn to sensuality and sexuality and perversion like that. Th- then I think we get actions, not just attitudes, but actions. Idolatry, that's an action. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Those are actions. And then we have affections. What do we crave? What do we love? drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, his response to that is to not break things into categories. So it's not that he's saying we have the fruits of the Spirit. It's not like one tree and a bunch of different fruits. It's we have the fruit, singular. And so what we need to look for is how these things are actually engaging with our attitudes, our actions, and our affections. So all of these things will cover those categories. And so we look for love. Love. Do do we live out of a love for God and for our fellow man? Is that what drives us? Is that increasing? And I think that's a wonderful question, especially in our day today. Are we growing as loving people? Joy. Those who walk by the Spirit exhibit joy, and that's exhibiting gladness in what God has done, is doing, and will do. Wow, look at what God did yesterday. Look at what He's doing right now. And wow, can you imagine what He's going to do in the future? That's joy. Patience. I'm sorry, peace. They live worry-free and refuse anxiety. Is that, is that growing in you that you go, okay, I, I'm not going to worry about that. By the Spirit, by faith, I'm going to be free of worry and anxiety That's going to keep me looking forward. Okay, it's going to pull at me. It's going to pull at me, but I'm going to keep looking forward. I'm going to keep following the Spirit, trusting, knowing the Word, trusting that the Word is true. I'm not going to worry. Patience. They're known for having a long fuse, those who walk by the Spirit. They don't lose their temper easily. Those who walk by the Spirit exhibit kindness. They show tender concern for the needs of others. And goodness, their actions reflect virtue and holiness. And faithfulness, they are steadfast in their trust of God and His Word. Gentleness, their lives are characterized by humility, grace, and thankfulness to God. Self-control, they display moderation, constraint, and the ability to say no to their flesh. Is that being produced in you? More and more and more. So if you want to know, okay, have I really grabbed onto this thing that's by faith? It's kind of hard to grab onto because I have to just believe that it's true. Have, have I done that? Well, look at the evidence. What does your life exhibit? And if you go, hmm, not much good fruit there. Hey, be encouraged because God goes, hey, just ask. Just ask and I'm going I'm to give you what you need. Just ask because my name is on the line here and I want my people to experience this new beginning. And it's better than all of the mighty works that I've done. It's better than everything we see in Jesus. My spirit in you, it's power to transform your life. We believe it. So it closes in verse 25. He says, if we live by the spirit, Let us also walk by the Spirit. This new beginning starts in Christ. Coming to a place where you believe that Jesus Christ is who He said He is. He declared Himself to be the Son of God, God of God. The exact radiance, the exact imprint of the nature of God. Even though He had on flesh. And he said, you're in a horrible state because you're dead in sin, but I want to give you life. And so I'll pay your penalty on the cross. I will die and be buried, but I will rise again to life. And I will give you that life by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. It's that continual forward movement 
where, where we know the word, we seek the word, and, and then we trust it as we live out our lives. So my challenge to you this week would be, would you just, maybe it's part of the church reading plan, we're in Hebrews now, which is, um, in my opinion, a, a nice change from First and Second Corinthians. But we're in Hebrews now, and there's all kinds of promises in Hebrews. There's all kinds of great declarations in Hebrews. Would you maybe just pick one of those and go, okay, this week, I'm just going to hang on to this truth. I'm going I'm to just declare to God, I believe this is true, and I'm going to live my life in light of this truth. In that, you'll begin walking by the Spirit. And I think you'll find that it feels like freedom. I think you'll find it keeps you looking forward. I think you'll find that it's just this function of faith that plays out in our lives and bears out fruit that we can see. That's my hope for us. Not that God would do some amazing, miraculous thing. But that amazing, miraculous thing is that he would change us to be more like his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you have declared in your word that this is the work you desire to do. And that at the perfect time, you did this work and you long to just pour it out to us. Father, it is um, such a good and powerful work in our lives. Lord, I just pray that this week um, we would find something in your word that we would just, before you say, God, I declare that I believe that this is true, that this is right, that this is life-giving, and I'm going to trust you as I live out my life in light of your word. Lord, I pray that you would Show us the work of your spirit. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.